want to comment. Jimmy, you weren't supposed to be that good, buddy. Um, but actually, Jimmy was a little bitty baby in uh, the first church I was youth minister in, Woodalga, Tennessee. Um, he doesn't remember because I think he was still in diapers, if even. Um, but uh, one thing that the ladies were able to do that you mentioned it was cook. And boy, they could, not as good as y'all, but boy, they could cook. Man, good stuff. Um, with that, let us, oh, what do I say? The Lord be with you. Let us pray. God, show us what it means to love, and then help us to love. Amen. Today's the last week, the last Sunday of our stewardship campaign, and the text that we have this morning is, is very familiar. Um, if you come to church here much, you've probably heard me say, you know, that God's intention, God's will for us is to love God and to love others, all others, and you know, that, um, I say that, what, every other week, if not more? Um, so that's probably pretty familiar to you. But this week I was reading in one of my commentaries on Matthew. It's written by Stanley Hauerwas. And um, Hauerwas said a couple things in there that made me rethink this very familiar text. And I want to get to that in a bit. But first I want to kind of give a broad overview of, of, of things. It seems that Jesus has been fighting with these religious leaders for a good while now. Uh, I've been reading through Matthew 20 and 21 and 22, and, and the confrontation between Jesus and the religious leaders just keeps growing. Jesus keeps calling out these religious leaders who have been called by God to lead the people, and they don't at all. He used parables for a time to point out at them. Last week we read how uh, some of the religious leaders were wanting to try to trick Jesus to, to, to show him as a phony so that the crowds would turn away from him. And this week it happens again. It says that one of the lawyers of the Pharisees, the, the main religious group, wants to test him. He says, teacher, which of the commandments is the greatest? Of the 613 commandments in the Jewish Bible, which one's the greatest? And frankly, this was a pretty easy one, I think, for Jesus. Because what he does, he quotes from perhaps the most well-known, the most quoted, the most memorized of all the Jewish texts. It's called the Shema. Shema um, is from Deuteronomy 6, and Shema means listen or hear. And that text begins, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And then he says what's in here, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, Jesus says. And the second one's like it. And then he quotes this time from Leviticus 19, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall love God, you shall love the other and on these two commandments hang all the law and prophets. On these two commandments, it's a summary of all that God speaks of in the Old Testament. I read a, an image that I think I kind of like on this notion of um, the commandments hanging all the laws and prophets. It's kind of like a door hangs by its hinges. Those two great commands are the hinge that opens the door into how God's love is all about. 
Well, shortly after Jesus says this, I think what Jesus is doing next will be to remind the people of how these religious leaders have not followed these two commands, because we're not going to be reading it next week, but it would have been the text for next week. And it, talks, it calls out the scribes and Pharisees, and I, I, won't, I won't read it all because it's pretty long. He says this, he says, Don't do as they do, for they don't practice what they teach. They tie up heavy burdens on people. Goes on to say, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! Later on he says, Woe to you, you, you blind guides, you blind fools! You blind Pharisee! Woe to you! Boy, he really he cranks out the condemnation toward these religious leaders. And he points out that they do not know what it means to follow the great commands. But that's then, and those two commands still speak to us. And Stanley Hauerwas talked to me this week in my reading with him. Because, you know, like I said, whatever I say about God's intention for us is that we love God and love others. But I skip a part. At the end of that second commandment, it says, as you love yourself. I skip over that. Why? Because it sounds so selfish, so arrogant, does it, to, to love yourself. I mean, our culture screams that at us all the time, especially the ads that the whole purpose in life is to love yourself and to shower everything upon yourself because really it's only about you after all. You know, uh, so just worry about yourself. Make yourself happy. Please yourself. That's all of life. We hear that all the time. I was at Barnes & Noble this week buying a book. And I went past the section. It's the Christian literature section. They happen to have a, a, the bestseller list of the Christian books. And I kind of looked at it. And I won't say his name, but it's a minister at a huge church had a couple books on there, and I picked up one of them, and I didn't write down any of the, the chapter titles, but all of them, all those chapter titles screamed out to me that if you believe right, you'll be rich. You'll be wealthy. God wants you to be successful. To me, that screamed out, it's all about me. And Jesus says that if we want to follow him to deny yourselves... Doesn't that seem to be the opposite of loving yourself, denying yourself? Well, Stanley Hauerwas, in his book that I read, spoke at me about that because he says in there to, an, to the effect of, if you're going to love God and if you're going to love other people, first you have to learn to love yourself. How do you learn how to love yourself? You learn to love yourself by recognizing God's love for you. What is that love about? It's a love that goes with us always. In every day of life, in concrete, daily, specific ways, God loves us. God gives us life. God gives us food. God gives us people in our lives. God gives us His creation around us. Every single day God gives that. God calls us and loves us. And He loves us in our good times. God loves us in our bad times. 
And the more that we know that, and the more we can remember that, the more it helps for us to be able to love even ourselves. How can we love ourselves? Because we are loved children of God. And because we are loved children of God, who are loved by God regardless, we can love ourselves. God loves us just the way we are. But, and I've said this before too, but God loves us too much to leave us like we are. I think that's why we have the commands. Think of it as, as think of it, your children, our children, okay? I think of my kids, and of course, both of mine are gone. Are they running in the parking lot or are they downstairs? Okay, good, because if they're, if they're not, can somebody go out there and pinch a knot in my son and daughter's tail? Anyway, I guess they're downstairs with Miss Karen. Um, what was I talking about? Our kids. I'll talk about my kids. I love my kids. I love them every day. I love them fully, and I try my best to let them know how much I love them, even when I make fun of them in church, that I love them. But there are times when my children do something that they don't need to do. And so there are times, because I love them so much and I see them doing what they should not do, I want to encourage them or make them go into another direction, which will be good for them, even if they don't know it. And of course, if you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. The heartache, the angst, the whining that can come from encouraging our children whom we love and whom we strive to let them know we love them, that they need to do this different. God loves us so much that he wants us to do this, even if it's different than what we want to do. And that first and greatest command is to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind to, God, to love God fully with all of our being. God who is the essence of love, who loves us fully, He calls us into the fullness of that relationship. Always seeking to concretely and specifically and daily show love to God and to grow in that love for God. During the season of Lent, we lift up the whole notion of denying ourselves, of, of giving up, giving up specific things, Specific practices, particular things that we do to give those up and to take up other specific and concrete things. And I say specific and concrete because love has to be specific. It can't just be abstract. And then, and here's where Hauerwas got me again. Here's what I do when I talk about God's will for us. It's, it's that we love God and that we love others. And I always pause and then I say, all others, right? Don't I do that? I do that quite a bit. And I pause to say all others to remind us that that means everyone. And I think that's what Jesus means. But that's not what Jesus says, is it? Jesus says here to love your neighbor. This is where Howas called me out again. Our neighbor. The neighbor, the word comes from the Old English, which means near dweller. 
Someone who is nearby you in life, that is who you are called to love. It's not some abstract, but it's a specific someone or some group of people. We are to love our neighbor. Here's what G.K. Chesterton, who was a writer of the last century, said. The Bible tells us to love our neighbors and also to love our enemies, probably because they are the same people. Nobody even giggled at that. I thought that was cute. I guess you're told not to laugh in church or either I'm just that boring. You know, it's easy to say that I love other people. It's easy to say, oh, I love everybody. But how about that particular person? How about that person that you went toe-to-toe with at work or in the community or somewhere or even at church? I love everybody, but boy, I sure don't love that person. How about the person who you have such distaste for in your life that I love everybody, but boy, I sure don't love that person. For me, one particular person I can think of is one of my neighbors that lives up here and up the street who... Not too long after I'd moved here, one of my dogs got off the leash and got into his yard, and he, he called me in front of my kids in A, blank, 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 blank. That neighbor. I don't love that neighbor because he called me that word. How about you? How do we learn to love the specific neighbor? or neighbors. Let's don't make it some abstract something. How do we go about loving that person? That fellow child of God. One way I think is to listen. Wednesday, I was um, reading one of my devotion things. Much of the days of the week I try to read a devotion of some place. And there's one site I I read about once a week, and it's called Sacred Space. In Sacred Space, you go in there, and it it has like a a prayer, and then a focus thing, and then it'll have a scripture for the day, and then after the scripture, it'll have a a reflection thing on that scripture, and then it'll have a closing prayer, and basically, okay, you're out the door now. You spend some time with each of those. But when you go onto the site, the first thing you see on there is a thing that says... um, Something, something to think and pray about this week. Now, about half the time I read those. Usually I just jump right into the readings. But this past week, here is what that something to think and pray about said. And it's from a book called Little Lessons from the Saints by a man named Bob Burnham. Never heard of him. But here's what he wrote. Listening to another person might be the greatest act of compassion you can perform. It is the easiest way to welcome someone into your heart. When I listen, I'm accepting an invitation to become part of another person's story. I'm saying, yes, your story is important. It needs to be heard. I want to make your story part of my own. But all too often, I find myself dismissive of other people. I might be too busy. I might might not like what I hear. Their story offends my sensibilities. When I dismiss another person's story, I am dismissing them. I rob people of their dignity by ignoring them. 
How ironic that for me, something to think and pray about this week, to listen. Who is your neighbor that you are being called to love? Maybe it's a person who's off your grid. And what I mean by that is it kind of out of sight, out of mind. It could be someone in this congregation who isn't here. It's not necessarily that you hate your neighbor. You're just disconnected from that neighbor. I know for me, I'm facing something in, in not this week, but the next week. Um, I've been work, talking with a, a man who's a retired K-State administrator. He's gathering about 10 or 12 African-American people. Half of them are African-American ministers. I'm gathering um, about that same many of white folks, and half of them are, are, are ministers. And I'm not leading this, but the man I've been talking with is going to lead this discussion, and it's going to be on the issue of racism, specifically in Frankfurt. And I know for me, the key is going to be sit on my hands and listen to hear the story, even when I don't like what I hear or that their story may offend my sensibilities, I'm being called to listen. How about you? There's another of our church members who's got a really cool idea that he's working on, and we're going to do it pretty soon, of just having a gathering of people, not at church, but in some relaxed atmosphere. A restaurant, maybe even a place that has the word pub in it, where people are going to be encouraged to come and just relax together. Maybe drink sweet tea, maybe drink Coca-Cola, maybe drink some adult beverage. And the, the, the stage, the mic will be wide open for anyone to talk about whatever they want to. Especially people who either don't go to church or who in church feel very uncomfortable about asking these questions. And I know for me, my main role is going to be to sit and to listen. Now that's, I'm looking forward to that. How about you? How might God be calling you, God's loved child that you are, and us as loved children of God as this church, How's God calling us to love our own selves in deeper and healthier ways? How is God calling us to love God in a deeper and more fuller and specific ways? How is God calling you, us, to love that neighbor in a specific and practical and concrete way? Pray, listen to how God might be calling you, and then step into it and listen. Thanks be to God who never quits sharing His love with us and whose spirit never, keeps, never quits calling us. Now let us sing our hymn of invitation, which is hymn... It's a hymn. 452, please stand. 